Hey, good evening, Patriots. And it's the end of Sunday, February 4th in the year 2024. Really excited about tonight. It's the relaunch of Expedition Cafe. It's been probably over a year since we've run this program. And I'm starting to bring it back, and I'm going to bring it back every Sunday that I can, meaning that we get talent to come on and talk about things. This is really a focus on the creative art side of the Patriot Movement, of the revival of America. And really, we should just say that the, the American constitutional movement is really what it is. And I'm just really excited about launching it tonight with truly one of our great patriots and just a man that just has an amazing heart, and that's Brian Kahanek. And just so I say it, it's Jill Kahanek's birthday tonight. So happy birthday, Jill. It's wonderful. So this is just a, a, a needed thing. We, are, we have been focusing so much for the last five-plus years on the information war, and we've done well. We've adapted. We've created a massive information network. We have a lot of adaptability when in times of crisis, especially with the, the censorship that's been waged upon us. But there's a lacking gap in the focus on patriots, and it's really embracing the gifts and talents and raising those up in a way that we can start inspiring others. And I don't think there's a better way to do that than to begin that journey, or I should say re-begin that journey with, than with music. Brian is, is an exceptional talent. He is one who's worked as the top sound engineer for Disney. He is an amazing creative talent in his own right, just with a guitar and what he can do in the studio. He, in my assessment, and I'm, I have, if you get to know me in this level, I have an extremely critical ear, one of these audiophile nerds that you might run into once in a while. But truly, Brian does some of the finest mixes I've ever come across. He cre create imagery in the way he does his sound mixes in a in just a standard stereo mode that you would typically think would not occur unless you had quadrasound or more. He really is gifted. And he has such a, a sense and feel for creating his own style within music that he's lifted up to just almost, it's almost his own genre. Tonight, you're going to get a chance to hear as well his, his new piece called Peacemaker. And there's so much to that. And I think what's a deeper part of that story is that we're also hearing an expression of our love in God in a completely different way. This, in a sense, is, is this not what you would call a hymn, and yet it is a hymn for our heart. So I'm very excited to introduce that to you tonight. So with that, and I'm just going to get right to it, let's sit back and enjoy an amazing interview tonight with... One of America's great patriots, Brian Kahenick. Patriots, I have a great person on here tonight. And this is a person we haven't heard from for a while, Brian Kahanik. He is like creativity par excellence, amazing guitarist. He, he played at Bart's Fest 1, as you recall. Brian has got a love of Christ in his heart, and he just has had so much going on in his life. He also has a new single out, which is amazing. And also, it's just an awesome way to reintroduce Expedition Cafe, which is what we're doing tonight here. And so, Brian, how are you doing, man? It's been a long time. Oh, man, it's great, Scott. Thanks for having me back, brother. And it's it's really cool to see you bringing back Expedition Cafe because, you know, with that, with all of this stuff that you're putting out on your platform, having that creative spark and 
and that uh, that reason to get up in the morning and stuff is so important. So it's really cool. I appreciate you having me on, brother. Absolutely. Now, Brian, I'm, they can't see this, obviously, because we're audio, but I'm looking at like mountain man picture of you in, in your in your <laughs> avatar image from the, our recording platform of Zoom. Dude, this is not the Brian we knew from the pedophileville of L.A. and Disney uh, <laughs> love and, and rape kids culture that you left rapidly. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the Texas, uh, uh, you can't take the boy out of Texas. And so now we're up here in the Flathead Valley in Montana where my folks moved uh, back in 95. And, you know, I've been coming up here for 30 years almost, just on and off. And uh, so Jill and I, we escaped the, the laboratory of evil. That is Los Angeles, man. And uh, we came up here and it's been transformative in more ways than you could ever imagine, I, I think. And, and the people here, I think, are the biggest Plus, because it's just, they're just really good. There's no BS, man. You know, it's, you get to uh, right to the point of, of the matter when you're having conversations here and, and nobody puts on airs. And so it's really refreshing, man. And it's given us a real different paradigm shift in our lives. And, and uh, it's just a real kind of that, that, that soul gravity that comes in, man, where you, know, you can be pushed one way or the other, but you're not going to fall down because you know exactly where you stand. So it's been, it's been amazing being up here, dude. Well, I mean, this is, this is like, a world now, because I, I know some of the exchanges we've had in conversation, this is a world now where you go hiking and you pack your 10 millimeter. This is a little different world, right? Uh, well, yeah, man. I mean, I've always been a 45 guy and I come in, you know, I'm not really getting into the world of firearms all that much because, of course, living in California, it's like, you know, that's bare boating. More than 10 rounds. Oh, my God. That's just, uh, that's terrible. Um, so coming up here, we would, you know, go off grid, man. And, um, you know, you're low on the food chain at that point. And so, you know, we did a big hike in the Jewel in 2022 when we first moved up here, and uh, the Jewel Basin. And you get off into those back, you know, the back ridges, man, and, you know, your lunch. And so I've got my 45, and I've got some hot loads with some, uh, you know, some solid ball ammo, but that's just still not going to do it. And even if you get the, you know, the drop on a Grizz that's charging you, you may have a 10% chance of making it out of that. So. I started looking around and, and uh, all the gun shops up here. There's like, I, I, I'd like to say that I've traded gun shops for guitar shops <laughs> because there's so many great uh, stores up here. And uh, I just started talking to some folks, man. And they're like, oh, the 10 millimeters, the new black. And uh, so it was either, well, I'll buy a 44 Magnum and go, you know, I've never been a really revolver guy. But um, yeah, I, I settled on the 10 millimeter, which I think is a stout round and it's got great penetrating power. And so if we do get in a, a bind out there, that's at least we have a fighting chance at that point. So uh, yeah, man, it's uh, it's it's crazy because you know you go hiking in California and uh, you're not going to have this. You might find a black bear, but they're pretty docile. But um, you know you get the grizzes up here and they haven't really. They've just let them, you know, breed and there's tons of them. And so like I think it was, uh, gosh, when it was it was September last year, we had one of a doe that was drinking down here at the lake, and a mountain lion came by and and snapped its neck. This is probably you know, maybe 50 yards from the cabin. And um, so the next night, the Grizz, I mean, obviously there's tons of Grizz around here. The Sal Grizz and her three cubs come cruising right in front of the, about five o'clock in the morning, right in front of the cabin and just start, you know, mowing down on this doe. And, you know, to have a, a Sal Grizz and her three cubs, you know, feet from your front door, yeah, that's, that'll wake you up a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that'll do it. I had a, we have a bear that <laughs> came down on our property up here that, well, I've tracked it back as a bear 
because I came in and I had four beehives and three of them were mauled to death, including one of the top hives that literally had the entire frame, not just broken, but like torn apart with, I mean, like broken through the horizontal of the wood, which is kind of a big blow. So obviously my bees were gone and apparently whatever found it was happy with the honey that it consumed. So, yeah. Oh, I bet. Well, you know, just on that tip, as far as bees go, I saw this, uh, uh, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I, my understanding is, is that bees, they, their wings cannot support their body weight, but when they flap them hard enough, they create this vibration that basically animates them in air. So it's almost like this perpetual motion machine where it's, I, you know, borderline free energy, maybe. Yeah, no, like dude, there's truth to this. Um, here's some other things that's amazing about bees. There's some studies that have been done in, well, Ukraine, but Ukraine's not the same country it was. <laughs> But anyway, this is pre-Russia. Pre-Russia, take out the centers, take out the centers of problems for the world. This is before them. But it's interesting what they did. They were doing research of having soldiers who had PTSD sleep in between hives, and the frequency resonance over the nights that they would sleep there was healing PTSD. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible, man. And that just goes into plays into everything that is uh, music and and uh, and sound and vibration that is that. I mean, you, you, you shoot two opposite frequencies into like a low and a high, or maybe even a high mid into a cancer cell, and it, it, it ruptures that membrane that's, you know, holding all the bad guys. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no scientist, and, or, you know, I, I don't study at the speed of science, obviously, but um, yeah, it's, there's so much of the, un, of the, of the, that we don't see that is so, huge to our existence and kind of pointing that towards music this to music is it's funny because the first group of people that got marginalized by let's say the, the digital revolution from like the napsters and the lime wires you know were the musicians and i i was on the front end of that because when as soon as the music industry collapsed uh you know there were budgets and i was having a great time in studios and doing sessions and mixing and all that stuff and then all of a sudden right around 2000 two, three, something like that, it all collapsed. And so, you know, big tech came in and, and aggregated everything and just co-opted everything and said, well, your IP is worth nothing and you have no say in the matter and, and, and here and off we go. And so it's, it, the, the musicians were marginalized first. And I kept trying to tell people because I was at Disney at the time uh, as a, an audio engineer and I would have meetings with the upper brass about, you know, security and digital security and cybersecurity and all that stuff. And I had a song of mine that was in the the second guitar hero video game and so they did kind of like this post-mortem on that song they could track all the you know because it has that uh, that isrc code so you can digitally track it throughout the web mm -hmm. and it was just it was shocking what i got back and so to kind of like pull this back to to the point is we saw the mu as musicians what they were going to do very very first you know basically steal everything co-opt it and you have no say in it and this is a, you'll own nothing and be happy that, you know, dot one, that was back in the early 2000s. So I, I saw that happen. And I tried to tell the idiots at Disney, I was like, you guys need to pay, pay attention to this because as bandwidth increases, your, your profits will, you know, go the other direction. And they're, oh, we're, we're going to be fine. We're, you know, we're the biggest media company in the world. I'm like, okay, that's great. Good for you. And, and I, this was before the woke revolution kind of destroyed everything. So, um, but that, that said, Frequency and music is the, for me, it's been the most important part of my life and Jill as well. You know, we, we have lived a life in music and, and creativity and uh, it, I have no regrets. And 
and, and even though that we've, it's hard to make a living doing this. It's almost impossible at this point if you want to, you know, just make a living off putting out music. You have to do it some other way. But that said, the effect it has on people it, it cannot be understated. And I think this is where the conservative movement loses ground big time, and, and they don't see it because. You know, I, I think it's the whole kind of trope is facts don't care about your feelings. Well, that's true to a degree. But in order to get somebody out of bed, a fact's not going to do it. A feeling is, okay, a, a, a vibe or whatever. And it, not to get into the mystical crap and all that stuff because it, it, is, it comes from God um, as far as I'm concerned. And that's why we're losing the culture war because – and that's why they took over all the, the, the levers of the media – is because they are they never take a day off. And well, I don't want to be bothered with that. It's you know facts don't care about your feelings. And I literally had somebody tell one of my family members one time, when is Brian going to get a real job? And this is when I was one of the head engineers at Disney. And so and they were I was a very conservative minded person that said that. So you know until we get our headgear screwed on straight, that we're fighting an information war in the cultural space, and until we decide to step in and underwrite the, uh, you know. The, underwrite the people and the tools that we need to win that war. We're always going to be on our heels, watching the other guys just take over the narrative, and uh, you know, and, and ruin this country basically. So uh, that's my kind of uh, my sticky wicket of the day, and uh, I hope people wake up to that because you know you can't just bitch about. Well, gosh, my kids are listening to all this crappy music. Well, you know, you are subscribing to these services that you know are promoting that. So you can walk away from that and actually promote artists that are trying to break through. And, you know, and there's no way to do it unless the, the people share the music. If you don't share it, nobody's going to hear it because, you know, stuff like mine and, and the stuff that Jill and I put out there is never going to get heard on the big stuff because we're never going to be added to the playlist. And I absolutely refuse to pay to play. If it's not organic, it's not real, and I don't want any part of it. I think you're a, there's a real big issue here, too, of who owns the, the catalogs. And, and, and to your point, I just want to continue with that thought a little bit. Um, yeah. We've seen this happen over and over with the purchasing of the full inventory catalogs of everything that people own, right? Uh, we saw it happen mm -hmm. with the Beatles. We have a, Michael Jackson. Um, I'm trying to think of her name right now. She's in those, she's the latest psyop in the news that was country singer turned pop singer in New York. I'm truly drawn a blank. But, oh, Oh, Taylor Swift. Yeah, Taylor Swift. So there's an interesting interview that came up with her the other day. It surfaced. It was an old one. And she was kind of doing this complaining to the audience about the fact that her entire catalog, all of her creative work, was purchased by a holding company that was owned by George Soros. So the, the thing to understand is what you're saying is that all of the ability for us to get this cheap music, which is, you know, Apple iTunes, um, Amazon, when you're these subscription based things where people pay in a, a flat subscription rate and then you have unlimited access to, to tunes. It's great for the listener, but it's destructive to the artist in the end of the day. And part of that destruction is the fact that these, these catalogs aren't owned by the artists anymore. So a company can now afford to say, here is, for example, a catalog of, 300 songs as an example and we're going to offer it to you because we only need on a an economy of scale we only need 
five cents, two cents, three cents per song on a scale of millions because we're going to pay the artist even like a point zero zero one, whatever that is, of, of the percentage. It's really, it's dismal. So the artist, mm-hmm. but the fact of the matter is that the artist is now tethered to an ownership of its catalog by somebody else, a corporate interest that has no interest in the in their creativity. They have only an interest in using them in an agent of influence. So the bigger the stars get, and in, in, in we've seen now, is this manipulation of catalogs and control of catalogs that ultimately controls the artists and, and their function. And if they deviate outside of that, they lose everything. So I, I think that yep. where, where you're hitting there is, is it was insightful what you were seeing where things were going because once the artists start to lose their freedom, they're going to be shaped and channeled by the owners of their catalog and who owns them ultimately. And that creates a, it does not create a positive effect within culture. Oh no, it's here we are it, it, we're in the widget stage because basically they've taken the the song and it doesn't really matter you know what the artist has to say. Let's for example, it, just kind of a turn on the creative dime here a little bit is it, let's say you're doing a movie trailer and I, like I do a lot of trailer work and stuff like that and I the the sounds that you are allowed to use in the trailer. Okay? So you can use this whoosh and this bam and this boom and this shutter effect or whatever. And if you deviate from that then it's going to get rejected, you know, because they expect to hear a certain thing. They, they've tested all this stuff. This is planned out like the oxygen they pump into the Vegas casinos. It's, it's the manipulation. People wouldn't believe it. And they obviously don't believe it because they still think this stuff is real. I mean, look at Taylor Swift. I, I It's funny because she's a perfect example of all of this. And, you know, sorry, Swifties. She doesn't really write her own songs. And, um, you know, you can you can argue that with me all day long. I've been in studio with these people. I know how it works. I've seen how the sausage is made. And, you know, you're not dealing with anything that's really organic coming from her, okay? Uh, maybe early on that was the case, but like you said earlier, you know, the more these the, their profile builds and the more reach they get, they hit a threshold line where the powers that be come in and go, okay, well, now we need to call off this because we can't have somebody out there you know, you know, pushing their own narrative. And you look at all like the, the died at 27 club, like the Hendrixes and the Janis Joplin and all those people back in the sixties. I mean, there's a reason why that is. I mean, it's like, Oh, it's just, you know, that's just because they're on drugs. Well, yeah, they, they were on drugs, of course, but I don't think that, uh, I mean, look at Hendrix. I, I firmly believe that uh, Hendrix's manager killed him because he was worth more dead than he was alive. But, uh, you know, getting, I'm sorry I'm getting off topic, but the bottom line is you're right, is that people need to wake up to the fact that they're being manipulated on a very micro level. That they, Why would they ever do that? Well, they're doing that because they're pushing you a certain way. As soon as Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey come out and go, oh, gosh, you know, you're going to vote for the Democrats because that's the right thing to do. Um, how many people are going to actually believe that? And that's the war that we're fighting right now is that narrative war. And the more people that find out that, you know, $1 buys one cent worth of stuff at the grocery store, the more that narrative doesn't, doesn't play. But again, the conservatives need to get off their butt and say, well, yeah, we do respect artists and we need to push this out and, and we need to invest in that. And these, you know, these big, uh, it's something you can only do the, the bootstrap thing for so long because if you're going to reach critical mass, if you're going to change and move the needle, you have to get to a certain point where you fade past that threshold and you say, I'm going to re- retain my integrity as an artist and keep writing. Because everything that I do and everything, I've got a bunch of friends of mine that are the same way. We're not going to change 
no way. It's not going to happen. And I'm going to put out stuff, and whether it, it, it flies or not, it doesn't matter to me because I've seen, I've been on the inside of that, and I know how it is. And I'm like, I don't want no part of that because when it's time for me to face, you know, to face the man, you know, the big man, I, I don't want to say that I, I, I perpetuated that. Well, take a look at this. I'm just going to list some names for you. These were all manufactured bands tailored to influence culture. Boston, Foreigner, Bad Company, Journey, Sticks, Asia, Ario Speedwagon, Kansas, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band, Night Ranger, Triumph, 38 Special, Billy Squire, Eddie Money, Hart, Van Halen. I mean, all the lover boy, all of these bands yeah. were literally shaped and tailored for, by cultural profile. And, and that's it's an easy research to do. So the sounds were significantly similar, and yet the emotions that they were designed to provoke or promote were done very specifically. Yeah. So that entire culture era, which is like late 70s, mid 80s, was a shaped cultural influence program, all done because they, even at that time, they had so much control over the music industry. Now we get to where we are today. And I can't say that those, a lot of those sounds that they created were negative, but they did have a cultural shaping effect. The understanding of music has been understood from the very beginning to be one of the most powerful influential agents within a culture. And if you can grab the hold of music and its creative force, you can literally grab hold of the youth and control them for a lifetime. It's it's that powerful. Yeah. I think so. You, you, what you're hitting on here is very significant because there has been a, a lack of valuation within this movement of awakening of the importance of music. Informationally, we got it. They're doing that well but we still default back to existing artists. And what's interesting is the reliance on the existing category of artists, somehow that they're going to be coming over to our side and become, if you want to call it our side, over to this path of awakening and somehow be magically freed from their handlers and puppet masters that control everything in their life. And it's something I've said many times, and I know you can confirm this, but like the money that they're given, it's like being given a credit card. They have an unlimited budget and balance until they violate the laws. And then all of that is withdrawn overnight. And suddenly, like, all that that free money you had becomes a debt that you owe the system. And there's no way back other than whatever they decide, decide to have you do. So there is a such a control factor on this. We just don't see the excitement of music in our culture the way that would I think we need, and, and ultimately that even gets back to the whole core of what we're supposed to be doing. It's just like hymn and praise, but it, hymn and praise comes through very many forms when we're speaking the word of God in, in how God's leading us to express the sounds that come from our heart. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. It's, the Lord works in mysterious ways, and that message can get through in the most unlikeliest of ways in people and places, and I think that's if you're if your antenna is turned on to see that, you'll, you'll feel it in your heart and you'll know it. It's that discernment that comes with that, which is um, which is key. And a lot of people, you know, they've got they've been calcified to the point where they can't feel or see that vibration. And how do you break through that? Uh, that just atrophy. I, I, I it is with real and but real can't come to the surface because it, it's being squelched out. It's almost like you're you're a new beer company and you want to get your get your bottle of beer on the, the, the sweet spot in the shelf at the grocery store. That ain't going to happen because Budweiser is going to shut you down. And, 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 and this is a perfect example. Another brings up the mind of, you know, you got Kid Rock out there. I got nothing against Kid Rock. He's, he's fine. 
but uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not a big fan, but I, 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 I can appreciate that he's standing up, but see the psyop is he's like, Oh, I'm going to blow up this, you know, Bud Light with this, you know, with this uh, silver machine gun. And then, you know, what, three or four months later, he's going to come out and go, well, you know, they've learned their lesson and it, it's fine. I'm like, uh, no, no, they're <laughs> chief. I, I'm not buying that for one second. So, you know, where are we there? Because, you know, he's one of the biggest conservative influencers in the music realm that I could find. And, um, you know, trying to compete with that level because people, they, they, they want to know and they want to be around what's cool. Right. And so Kid Rock is, you know, he's been in the business a long time and he's put out some good stuff here and there. But, you know, wh what do you do with that? I, I'm just saying no. And then the UFC comes out and goes, yeah, we're going to be take one hundred million dollars from from Budweiser. I'm like, that, that's not how we fight the war. You know, it's like in one hand you're saying go away. and the other hand, you get your other hand behind your back taking the cash. So no thanks. And I think that people understand that now, which is really the good thing. And all that to say, and all this kind of negative, you know, reality of the, the creative space, the truth of the matter is, is that it doesn't really matter to me in the sense that I wake up every morning energized and more excited than ever. Because, you know, God's moving in a huge way right now. And I think I've seen people that I never thought would wake up are starting to kind of get a little bit of crack, you know, that little bit of light shining through there. And that is the miracle, man. And I, I it doesn't matter what, where they've been, if they come back and, and they want to acknowledge that where the, where the source is, is God, is that then we can have a great conversation and, and mend fences and do the things that we need to do to become a community, you know, and that's really the big thing. So I hope people understand that, you know, when you see something new from a, some little guy artist out there that nobody's heard of, if you don't share that song on your social media or wherever you share it with your people and your friends and your community, then it's never going to get heard. Because I would argue that if a tree falls in the forest and there's nobody there, it does not make a sound. All right, you're dead on. You know, it's, we've talked about this before because it's one of the things that still in the direct the trajectory I'm hoping to do which was what you just said, which is to identify the talent through the single song, not the album. I think this is a big deal because we become accustomed to a couple of things. One, we become accustomed to seeing a whole playlist of artists. Single artists sometimes only begin with a single song, right? small artists. And it can be an yeah. outstanding song, and it can be a, a song that truly has an anointing on it that is just incredible. So we we need to be able to elevate those up to start hearing those voices that come from the unknowns, that come from places that we don't normally look. And by, like you say, by elevating it up and letting people hear it, there is a following. I mean, there is this song, and I, it's the blues song from the guy that sang it. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the name. You should know it. He's that guy that, the working class song that just came out recently. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oliver Anthony, I think. There yeah, you that go. Guy. Oliver mm -hmm. Anthony. So there we, go, there we go is a great example of something that got mega traction. And lots of credit to that guy because he yeah. turned down all contracts. He just did a song. He just wanted to sing a song and do it the right way. Turned down all these big contracts because he's like, no, I'm not going to give into that. But again, that happened because, yes, it was a good song. It also hit the right vibe and tone and message that we needed at the time. But people were willing to like go all out and spread it. Now, the song now, even though we... Um, we don't hear it as much anymore. It has become part of the legacy of this era. Something very yeah. interesting that the guy that mentored me into photography pointed out, and it's a huge observation, and it was this. He's like, we entered into discussing the Iraq and Afghan wars. This is when I was early when I was working on my film. 
And his comment was, we, this is the first war that we've had of a major scale that does not have a music playlist to go with it. And he pointed to Vietnam and he was yeah. dead on. I mean, there's a whole generation of music that comes out of Vietnam. And in this time, in when we look to Iraq and Afghanistan, there literally was no music that was in, that was coming out of that culture. And we've, we've lacked that. It was an elevated and that's a real statement to where we, I think we sit with the understanding of the influence of music and sound. Where, where in many ways we're still stuck back in the 60s. And we even see this generation reaching back, not forward, which is interesting. And you'll hear them playing things like, oh, check out this cool sound. It's like, yeah, I grew up with that. But it's retro to them. And it's, and it's moving, bringing an old into the new, which is odd because you would think that we'd want to be inspiring new. And we don't see a lot of that power of inspiration and creativity. And my argument is kind of to yours. I think we're paralleling this is that We've stifled so much of that because the pathways to success have been so hard to break through in that area. It's easier to set up a podcast than it is to become an artist online and to, and to do music. <laughs> That's the truth. And on top of that, I would even liken it to being, I think stand-up comedy might even be easier, which that, that's like the, you know, the Wild West out there trying to be a stand-up comic. Because it's, it really is, goes back to the Napster, LimeWire, situation as soon as music became free right then everybody this if you get it for free then why you know it's not worth anything in your mind you automatically equate that as it has no value because i can get it for free why would i pay for that right and so you there's no way to raise the price at that point once it's free so you know how do you how do you monetize because that's how you know real musicians would monetize their tours their careers was off the uh, the back of their record sales or their physical media and all their mechanical royalties. So now you can't. There's that that's just gone. So you if you're going to sign with a major label, it's a 360 deal, and they're going to own your social security. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they're they're going to they're going to dig all the way down in the hole to get everything they can out of you, and you're going to leave you with a shell of a person, and they're going to take all your stuff. That's how it works. And so how do we reform the system in that way? I, I it, you, it goes right back to what you've been saying all along. This is a cultural, moral, spiritual awakening that has to decide that if we're going to value something, then we pay for it. I mean, when I hire musicians to come work with me, I'm, I'm probably not going to make the money back, but I pay them for their time because I want to value them as a human and for their creativity because there's a reason why I'm asking them to come join me. And um, that just has to be done. So I, I, you, I'm trying to be that one person, and there's so many more like me out there. I'm not saying I'm the only guy. Of course, there's tons of great patriot Christian and, and artists that are coming out right now that are just in this kind of purgatory realm of, of nobody's really listening to a large degree. But I'm telling you, the talent is there big time. And it's way better than the garbage they're shoving down your throat right now. So how do you change that? I, it's going to come from somewhere else to, to really – it's going to come from God to light people's hearts up. And I hopefully – here we are in this awakening that uh, is going to give us that opportunity to, to reform our, our lives and our world and our country to uh, what it was supposed to be, our inheritance, man, you know, from God in this country. It, it's, it's up to us. And I think that that's my new single peacemaker is that's exactly what I'm saying is that there's nobody coming to save you. And the bottom line is, is that this is up to you to get out off the couch Stop thinking somebody else is going to do it for you. Get off and your duff and do it yourself. And this is the only way out of this. Um, and even if some 
miraculous thing happens. The only way this is truly going to stick, if you know somehow we get justice served at some point here in the nearly future, is that if if the co- country comes back to God and says, you know, we need to start doing all of our affairs based on Him, period. And once that happens, then man, and the ship would be just. I hope to see it in my lifetime. I think we're headed that direction because, uh, like I said, I've got a lot of friends that are starting to see some lights shine, and I, that's a beautiful thing. The salted earth and hearts of stone. Yeah, the devil's come to take his own. And the fools all laugh about it. They pull the roots and sow their scorn with no love for your new piece, Peacemaker. Let's talk a little bit about that. I wrote most of the music in the bed before I wrote the lyrics because I was, I was just kind of like, I got this cool guitar riff and I, I got this, uh, I just got a baritone acoustic guitar, which I hadn't really messed around with too much. I had a baritone electric, but not an acoustic. And so I was banging uh, on some chords out here at the lake and uh, that the progression kind of popped in my head and I said, okay, I need to record this and start producing it. So I started laying down the tracks and it came down to the vocals, and I'm thinking to myself, and you and I had talked about this prior about, you know, Peacemaker. What is it about? It, it's Is it about, you know, it, it, the book of Matthew, or is it about the, the cult peacemaker? And so how do you do that? I mean, Matthew 5, 9, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I mean, whew. does it get more powerful than that? I, I don't think so. Can't you hear the voice that's calling so that, that just kind of like welled me up a little bit and because it is up to us to and like i think you said the other night we've got all these people coming across and all and all these people that don't that are not bad guys how are we going to deal with that because logistically there's no way we're going to be able to get them all out of here we have to find a way to in our in our humanity to reach out to them and so now, on the flip side of that, the peacemaker, cult peacemaker, you know, I think we have to be able to understand when we see sin is to, to stamp it out right there. It's like it's a heavy burden and a heavy responsibility to be a peacemaker because you're going to step into situations that are going to be very uncomfortable or maybe even life threatening for you to push the agenda of a much higher power. And so I think that um, the song is, for me, is a, an awakening to say, you're not. I mean, this is not the end. When, when you know, everybody thinks, oh gosh, I'm going to take the, the big dirt nap six feet under. That's not the end. The proof of life can't be found in a world turned upside down. Yeah, we're on the road to ruin. I meet a lot of atheists in the work that I do, and I don't, I don't begrudge them that. That's their, you know, it's a free country. Well, we hope so. And you can believe how you want to believe, but I'm hoping that the way I live my life and the way I present myself and the things that I create will make you ask the question, well, why, why is he happy? And why is he so uh, productive and creative? And that's because, you know, I, it's coming from another place. So the lyrics to Peacemaker, I, I hope will, you know, light people up and to look at, at the good part of it. The, the Matthew 5, 9, that's what it really boils down to. Because we are the peacemakers, we we have that inheritance to to, to you know bring people together. It's to reconcile, and, and all these folks that 
you know, the, 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 the shot and all this stuff that we've been through recently, all the psyops and the information war has divided us so heavily. And it's that statement right there, you know, it shall be called the sons of God, the peacemakers. That, that's where it starts from us. And we're the ones that have the burden to, to go do that. And it's really not even a burden because we're lucky to be chosen. I think you hit a, a powerful metaphor that in that title that I use a lot, which is the balance between the sword of steel and the sword of the spirit. Yeah. And that we always lead with the sword of the spirit, but we're reminded, say with David, that there's a point when sometimes a sword of steel, metaphorically spoken, has to be used. And in that sense, it was both a stone and a physical sword that ends up cutting off Goliath's head. So there is a point when we stand up against pure evil and we know that God has called us to stand in that hour and to have him work through our hands. We don't put enough emphasis, I think, in our true anointing um, of how we're supposed to be in this world, which is the priests and the princes of the world, to literally be the peacemakers with the authorities given to us by Christ. So in, when you're talking about this, and this is what I'm hearing, whether by whether you intend it or not, but I think that's very powerful because we're walking in and you're hearing through this, you're hearing this message through a song. And I've heard the piece. It's fantastic. Thank you, man. And it's, it's fantastic in the sense that it's reminding us too of one of the most powerful swords we wield, which is music. Yeah. Amen. And that's, uh, it blew me up when I was a kid and I knew at a very young age that that was it for me. And that's how I was going to spend my life is going down all those paths of creativity and vibration and music and, and not kind of, you know, pushing out genre and all this other stuff is really making a, just making a life in music, making a life in creativity. And, you know, to some people that's a waste of time. And those are the people right there that I think are coming to have the biggest awakening and the biggest, uh, I guess reckoning within their lives is that if you're doing everything for your bottom line, everything is doesn't matter what it is, then you're going to run up against it. And it's now's the time. I think we're seeing that. And I, I, I hope for that because that's the only way we're going to get through this is the people that serve their 401ks and their retirement plan, Uber Alice, is they're going to look the other way every time. And that's how we got here. And so we have to cut that off and, and put 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 it put God first that and, and our communities first. So and you're right, music is the uniter, man. It 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 cuts through all the, the crap. It, it's a it's a uniter. The the language of music has no real verbal kind of uh component to it. Really if you boil it all down, it's just vibration and it's amazing what you can do with just 12 notes. It and just in whatever selection and and uh, ways you want to assemble those notes, it's incredible. And that's the simple, simplicity of God, but at, at the same time, the, the genius and the brilliance of it all is that you've only got these 12 notes, but you've got your humanity there to interpret what those notes say. So, yeah, it's it's huge. And uh, I'm very blessed and, and fortunate to uh, have known that God gave me that sight to know what I want to do with my life. And Jill as well, she's always been on that path too. And 
you know, watching her uh, grow into her faith. And because and, we're out here at the uh, 4-H camp, we've been we've been stewarding this place. And, and she runs the camp during the summers for all the kids. And it's just it's almost like going back in time now because the people here are there's just good families and there's uh, a, a strong uh, a real strong faith just underlying in the whole the whole experience. And um, it's like coming back to Texas almost. But here we are in the mountains. One of the things about music is it is such a poetry of the soul. I, I want I'm thinking back to Kurt Cobain and his unplugged is it was early MTV unplugged and it was powerful. We know a lot about Kurt Cobain now. We know that he was traumatized and kind of this typical satanic nonsense as he grew up. His dad was tied to the CIA and all this nonsense, right? And yet, in spite of all that, in spite of his ultimate destiny, which is commit suicide, which was tragic. Kurt Cobain had a way of expressing the pain. And I think this is an important point in his music. And it's, we can't just reject that outright. But here he was as a person is literally speaking into the world and giving truth through his music in spite of his handlers. He's giving truth to his music. And it came out so profoundly in his unplugged uh, concert with MTV where all of the, all of the protective measures of tuning and, and mixing were gone and it was just him yeah. on that guitar with a couple other guys around in acoustics and just playing from his soul. When we, the music has such an ability to emote that which is deep within us, even in those that are most broken, and it gives us a glimpse truly as we step back into who we are as to trying to be the peacemakers and try to understand truly what this is, that where our walking is, seeing someone who's in pain and being able then to understand them even better. And through music, it just opens that up into a level that words can't even match. Do you agree? Oh yeah. I, that, I think Kurt Cobain and I would put Lane Staley from Alice in Chains in that same category of when they, that guttural scream, when they would let that out, there's no fake in that dude. You know, there's, that's real, that's pain. That's watching somebody go through an exorcism almost. Right. Um, and they're doing that through music. And yeah, I was never a huge Nirvana fan. I had a lot of buddies of mine that were, I was off chasing the dragon with like Eddie Van Halen and all the, the shredder guitar player guys. But, um, when I finally came back around and I found Hendrix and I started getting into more of the singer songwriter approach and Cobain, I, I don't think it gets much better for our generation, honestly. Um, and I think Lane Staley is, is in that part as well. And, and Chris Cornell and, uh, all those guys, uh, we're, we're trying to buck the system, and they knew exactly what they were up against. Because there's no way that we lost Pennington and you know, uh, Chris Cornell, and I think there was another one out there that in, in a very short amount of time. Because I, I had a guy hit me up, um, this was back in 2018, they were doing a PSA commercial, and I was mixing this PSA commercial for child trafficking, right, or for like human trafficking. And all of a sudden, the, the project just disappeared. And that was it. And I didn't hear from those people anymore. And I was like halfway through with the project and it never happened. So I just like, okay, I just kind of wrote it off because this was kind of pre-awakening to the world that we really live in. And um, yeah, I, I think that people, when they hear, like I said, when you hear your Kurt Cobain sing those tunes, especially live, and you know, it's, that's real as it gets. It's, there's no fake in that. Then you understand that, you know, the whole idea of facts don't care about your feelings goes right out the window because the, the, the young person watching that relates to that over everything else. And it doesn't matter. Oh, well, this is the factual part is that he's hooked on drugs and all this other stuff. Well, that kid doesn't care. You know, that kid wants to, he feels that way just because he's got the hormones raging through him and he does, he's very impressionable. 
And so how do you how do you mold that at that stage and say, well, yeah, it's good to feel that way. You have to get your anger out and you have to emote. But as long as it's not going to tear somebody else down, it's um, it, it is huge. And we have a lot to learn uh, here going forward, because I, I don't know if it, it's I've talked to quite a few people about this, trying to change minds in this kind of conservative, you know, mindset, because I don't think I, I would really consider myself a conservative. You know, I'm I'm in the, fiercely independent. And I've never voted for a major party candidate except for Trump the last time, you know, and uh, that said, there's a lot of people just like me that are looking at both sides going, this is ridiculous. So obviously we know that it's team sports in Washington, but this is in our own communities. Those same team sports are being played out and we're being divided by those red and blue lines where, you know, one side is like, oh, they're just a bunch of drug addict hippies. And the other side, well, they're just a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, managers that want labor to work for nothing and so you got this kind of back and forth agenda, which is insane. And uh, it kind of brings me to uh, this movie I, I've been working on called The Last Keeper by a fellow named Tom Oprey. He's a big wildlife conservation guy. And so basically what this is, uh, to turn on a dime here, sorry to do that to you, is we've got the, the landholders in Scotland and then you've got these people from the quote unquote rewilding that want to take all these massive estates and co-opt them and just kick everybody off and let you know nature do what it will. Um, so it, it's a very interesting film. I hope you guys, if you get a chance, go check it out. It's shepherdsofwildlife.org. And we just finished up the printmasters um, last week, and I've got a few other changes I think to make to do the finals. But it should be out in theater soon and uh, out on PBS and all that stuff. And Tom is a very cool guy, and he's very passionate about what he does, and there's a lot of respect there. So anyway, I just want to push that out there. No, no, it's good. I mean, that's all part of the body of work that you're working on. Just give us kind of a, a rundown. I mean, you've obviously been doing music. Um, Peacemaker is one of your is your latest piece, so I want to still touch on that a little bit. And then you've been doing other stuff. So w this, I'm assuming, is part of that new mix of work you're putting together. It is, and it's been. Uh, my mom, she's a big uh, uh, AM radio listener in the morning. She'll get the weather report, and she gets up and has her legs and all that stuff, and. And she she comes in and she calls me. She's like, hey, there's this guy on, on the radio, and he's a filmmaker here locally to the Flathead. Do you maybe want to reach out to him? So I did. And uh, and he's he, he's worked at all the, the big corporate places, and he's kind of gotten to the same place that I have in the sense that he wants the projects that he takes on, he wants them to mean something. Not some stupid ABC TV show that's going to rot somebody's brain. You know, I don't want to have to answer for those things. You know, So he's in the same mindset of um, – of making content that moves the needle and makes people think. And it's scary what's going on in Scotland, just like it's scary here, you know. And this movie is just a microchasm of a, of a bigger global picture of all these things that are coordinated to, to pinch the little guy and push him out and corporatize everything. You know, this brave new world, 84, however you want to look at it. And so he puts a really good lens on it. And the nice part about it is he doesn't really tell you one to, to feel one way or the other. He just has everybody show their cards and they can make the decisions for themselves, which is really refreshing because that's what investigative journalism is supposed to be about. It's supposed to have an even keel on either side so people can really make up their minds. That's where they know they've got, they're getting the truth is that it's not slanted one way. They didn't use this word or that word as a descriptor to, you know, change the narrative. And it's that, that those micro little decisions that people don't see make all the difference and they don't see that. And that's the biggest thing is that I'm trying to tell people is that when you're watching something, there's always an agenda behind it trying to make you act a certain way. 
And that is, whether you want to realize it or not, that's what's happening. So I think he goes out and he kind of pushes that aside and puts everybody up front and so you can see what's really going on here. And it's frightening, man. You know, this is basically the Marxist uh, takeover. And I think it's a lot of people that are disgruntled that they have nothing. And their first you know, knee-jerk reaction is like socialism, communism, Marxism, because you know, down with the proletariat or whatever you want, you know, mantra you want to push out there is all poop. Because if you give them something in, instead of that, then they're going to choose that. But we haven't been doing that because basically we've in the fascist state of corporate America and our government using as one. So if you give people an opportunity, just that one little you know seed to plant, they're going to do it. I, I think most of them would take that. But they see – I, I watched some other thing the other day about people doom spending. And they're like, man, the world's coming to an end. I'm going to blow my, through my savings and do all of that. I'm like, man, you're really not thinking this through because – you know, what? just what if, okay, this works out in our favor, then where are you going to be? You're going to be below zero. You're going to be way behind the ball. So you have to, you have to plan for success now why the, the chips are down. Because if you do, then if this works out and God's got this and God knows when it'll, you know, we'll see this unfold, this kind of end game, you know, Trump versus the deep state or whatever you want to call this big matchup right now. But even once that's over, or even we've gotten to some sort of conclusion to that, this is, it's never over. This is a lifelong pursuit and a lifelong, lifelong pursuit of the truth. That's really it because that's what we're doing here, right? Absolutely. I think that's important kind of what you're hitting on here. And we're going to go back to your, um, going back to this whole piece of what you were talking about with even the latest piece and the whole perspective of music, which I think is so important we have the ability to literally change the world in everything that we do. We are still in the Matthew five fourteen. literally we are, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. That is us as a country. Yeah. And where I think people miss the point is how impactive our cultural changes can be. When you listen to, analysts outside of the United States, everybody is absolutely convinced that we're going to end up in civil war. That is the anal analytic piece because they don't understand the heart of America. I don't think we will. I think we'll end up with a, some pretty good bumps, but I don't think we're heading towards civil war because I think we've seen a revival of faith. And I think people are bigger than the gun. I think they realize more and more that they have a bigger power in prayer than they do in pulling the trigger. We have instigators, but I don't think that we're heading into a, a point of civil war. I think that at the same time, if people can embrace that same power as we have in faith and we're going back to music, imagine what would happen if there was a complete acceptance that we're going to seek all talent outside of the music industry. We're going to throw away Apple iTunes. We're going to throw away Amazon. We're going to go back to sending MP3 files to each other, which is old world, right? In this day and age, I feel like it's ancient. But anyway, my, my point is that we're, st we're starting to share differently. We start to create new sharing platforms, open up the opportunity for new monetization ideas, which I, I don't have that answer. Well, you and I have talked about it at length. I don't have the answer. But the biggest point is to elevate up artists that otherwise wouldn't be heard. And as, yeah. we, and as we do this, we are changing the culture and the culture war into our favor. And while it, there's a risk that everybody has to take in this, there's a risk that the artists have to take, there's a risk that the people have to take in understand, feeling that we're going to fill that gap. If we literally took all the existing inventories of music and just set it aside for right now and said we're not even going to touch it for a while, 
we need to revive music as an expression of our country, of our nation, in the time that we are, and seeking that greater understanding of the power of music and healing and lifting up to literally put life back into us rather than speak death, which seems to be the constant theme anymore that comes out of the music industry. Imagine the impact on the world. I mean, literally imagine them watching America take a shift. And the example I will give is not necessarily a positive one, but to, again, note the power of what the American culture can do. And we take the Beatles. They were nothing in England. Mm -hmm. And once they came here and they went mainstream here, they went global and they became a legendary mark in our history that it's like no one can ever escape the Beatles, which I think somebody said the greatest thing, the worst thing that ever happened to music was the Beatles because it killed everything Native American or Native to America, right? Which I believe that. Right. If we're going to get back to that origins of music, we have to go back to like The Clash, which was a band started in the garage or even in the sense of what we understand the history of the Beatles was, which is literally starting in the basement bars of Liverpool. I mean, we have to get back to elevating that up. There was an era of that in the late 80s and early 90s, which I, which I often refer to. It was like mid-80s to late 80s and a little bit early 90s, which I always refer to as the true alternative era. When people were really seeking that out, we were getting them on CDs. It was hard. I was part of that. Like we had to you'd yeah. hear music. Um, you'd have to dig in to find it. Sometimes they were imports. Music recording was hard to get done at that point in time. You, you, the imports weren't cheap or the, the underground stuff wasn't cheap, but there was an attempt to express music outside of the framework of everything. And it doesn't mean it's all good, but if we start to seek that out and open up in our hearts the, the intent, as I always go with intent first, to start saying we can change the world literally by changing the way we consume music, and I believe there's a huge part of that, and putting our emphasis towards a deeper meaning of music, the purpose and intent behind it, which should be in a way, it's it's not only to express the heart, but to lift up, not just to always try to come up. You know, the, the examples we have with rap and, and gangster rap and uh, so much of the garbage is coming out these days isn't about making us better. It's about just driving us into a pit. But if, if we are going to go back to the expression of the heart and we're trying to seek the heart of God as it's coming through with music and we as a culture make that pivot, literally we change the world. I don't think there's any question about that because the power of music can transform entire cultures. What's your thought? Oh, man. Oh, absolutely. And, and what you're saying to me, the first thing that it comes into my mind is I lived through those years too of you know pre-internet and if you wanted to find something, you had to go looking for it. And so you go down to the used record shop or whatever, and you'd, I'd spend hours in there just flipping through LPs or whatever or CDs. And, you know, I don't know what who, I, I didn't know this guy had a third record or whatever. Right. Because it was prior to the Internet. And so that you own that discovery. You find that record. Um, and that just like it's one of those desert island records that you alone is kind of like, oh, this, this looks cool. I'll take a chance on this. And you take it out of the bin. You, you pay for it. You go. And you listen to it, you're like, wow, this is amazing. And a perfect example of one of those records for me was Chris Whitley's Living with the Law. I got that at one of the used bookstores off campus at, at North Texas in Denton. And uh, I remember I got that record and I started playing it. And all my buddies, what is that? I'm like, that's this dude that I found. And he had one song that I saw in a late night program. So I figured I'd take a chance on it. And that is probably my favorite record of all times. And uh, it's that discovery, that almost ownership. You become a part of that artist in that way because you've, 
you discovered them. And it's like, you have to, we have to give people that back. And it's hard to do with the internet because everything is just so instant. And I, I know I'm, I'm no you know, purveyor of, of uh, you know, restraint on the internet as well. I'm, I'm out there looking for stuff all the time and I use it just for my uh, ends as well. But if we're going to get to the point where we actually push, look at it with value and say, I found this and I want to share it with my friends, right? That's the biggest thing. And so I, I think teenagers are more off to do that than old guys like me. But that said, I still have things that I find and I discover that I want to share with people. And I, like, like you said, man, I, once you, once you put something out there and we, we get rid of all the governors and all the restraints on the system and we let one little piece of light shine through, it, it'll be amazing how people react to it. That one song can light up a whole entire country or, or whatever and, and change the narrative. And they, they can't control that. And that's why everything sucks is because they know that. And that's why you're not going to hear that on a large scale. Look at, look at gangster rap. I mean, what did Ice Cube come out the other day and say that, yeah, it was a, you know, basically these intelligence agencies were paying, you know, uh, all these record labels to, you know, sign all these guys that had nothing but hate and gang affiliations in their heart. And here they are pushing that stuff out there on the world. And the, the result of that is uh, in a negative way, what you're saying, if we flip that on the other side and made it God led, imagine what would happen. <laughs> you know, so you're right, dude. Totally. No, it's, it's, it's there, man. I mean, it's, Music is just such a powerful medium for change. And it, it, when we hit it and we start to realize that it's healing, we know that we can get into all of that science, which is increasingly coming out, the frequencies of healing. We start to get yeah. into a whole other level of how a culture operates because when we're dealing with the darkness of this, um, it, it's pretty heavy. I mean, you, you and I have had a lot. We, we share a very common love, which is analog. You and I both do. And, oh, yeah. and, and for a modern generation, that's like, talking about horse and buggy, I think it's sometimes, but there's, there's such a richness and purity in analog. There is, whether it's tube amps, which is my heart, your heart, I know that, whether it's um, vinyl, which is, is in its imperfection, it is so perfect, which digital can't recreate. We've become accustomed to the perfectly clean sound, as an example, which isn't even real when you're at a live concert. We can become accustomed to even in photography because that was a big one. I was a film guy before I went to digital and I went from literally went from film into high definition video. So I was a big jump and that and using the high definition video as my frames that I would use. And that whole was a radical concept. But you're dealing in ones and zeros. You're not dealing with the nuance of a of a of something that's being absorbed on a film. Right. So there's yeah. there's a lot of the the sharpness that ones and zeros produces that is not real. So we start to live in an unreal real world. When someone yeah. sits and listens in a parlor setting and you're listening to somebody play, and whether it's, I think back to a concert that I had, I went to in at University of Florida, which is just the, the moment was so stunning that there's a guy who's advertised, he's a, he ends up, he's a, the last student of Andre Segovia. And as I go oh. in, nobody knew his name. So here he was playing at the University of Florida Library, which was kind of on the new one, which was off campus or off the edge of campus. And as I sat in there, dude, this was a concert of Andre Segovia's final protege. And here he was playing and there were 15 people in the audience. But yeah. you're sitting there in an intimate setting of a parlor setting and everything you feel and hear, 
every stroke, every edge, everything that a one and zero can't recreate, no matter how much they tell you it is, it's not there because there's a resonance. And that's what comes out of our experience with analog. So I think a lot of where our heart is, and I think it's it sometimes sounds very nostalgic and overly retro, especially as we sit at our age and people are like, oh, you guys are getting old again. It's not that. There's nothing to that. If you truly listen to audio and listen acutely like you do, like I do, you you truly can hear the difference between something that has been built around an analog base versus something that's built purely in the digital realm. And we still yeah. have we have amazing digital tools. I don't want to take away some of the like the editing tools that we have and the com- composition tools that we have and the ability to do that. But at the end of the day, when you take that sense of the artist coming through with the real instrument and you're trying to bring that, and if you can take that truly through a digital space, I mean through a through an analog experience. It is a different experience. You just, you hit it earlier, like the album. Like literally you go down. That was an analog experience. They were recorded on tape. They were put yeah. into press. They were the, the album itself became something of a recre- recreation that was from tape. And when you get into the whole science of how the vibration of the needle works and, and the cartridge choice, and you know, I always like to say, you know, I know I can still tell you my first um, audiophile turntable. It was an AR seventy six seven AR seventy seven XB turntable, single arm, no no automatic lift or return, and it had a Grado FTE plus one cartridge. That was a perfect match. You put that on with vinyl, and dude, like you're in another world. And then you yeah. match that with us, like a set of hey, Grado headphones, or at that point, like a set of Infinity speakers, which was like, you know, unbelievable. You're into another world. And the experience isn't nostalgia. It's a sense of deep feeling within us that unfortunately in the modern digital world, it's very difficult to recreate and have that depth of resonance in music that analog brings. Your thoughts? Oh, yeah. Well, I, just along those lines, brother, I, this year, I, you know, I've been in the box, just to quote, in the box means all digital from start to finish, basically. And that comes from all my years in, in Hollywood post-production where, you know, it has to be done yesterday. So there's no time to fiddle around with knobs and all that stuff or go out of the box and back in the box to master or whatever to get that analog finishing on the end game. So I, I've been in a digital space for a very long time. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, everything I'm recording is analog going into the box. That's on the musical side. But on the mix and mastering side and the finishing side. 2024, I just went like New Year's, like right before New Year's, I had a little bit of time over the holidays, and I went down the rabbit hole on uh, the analog two-bus mastering boxes that are out there. Because I was just like, I don't need to spend money on that. That's just, I can just finish it in the box. I'm like, you're, you know, I'm thinking to myself and rebuking myself, you're falling into the same trap everybody else does. And so I went, and I spent days listening, you know, kind of like critical listening to, to clips and things of people using these boxes and turning the knobs. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to take a, a big part of our budget this year, or like a small part of our budget, I should say, um, and, and go out and buy a bunch of analog mastering boxes. And that's what I did. I bought, you know, a, a mastering EQ. This guy hand makes it in Denmark. I, and I snagged that and I got a couple of SSL boxes. And I'm starting to run mixes through that. And I've just delivered this movie. The, the two track is uh, mastered under these boxes. And man, the, I, I brought the master back. And I'm listening to it on my laptop to QC the movie before I send it off to Tom. And I'm listening to it. I'm just like, and Jill comes up. She's like, you were right. That's night and day. And I'm like, it is night and day, isn't it? And I just, and I forgot. I mean, I came from that realm of like recording on Studer 24 tracks and running through consoles and all that. Cause that's what I grew up with. But 
you get into this, it's got to be done yesterday, hurry up, you know, let's go, let's go, let's go. To where I'm like, now I'm like, I want to offer my clients and my own music that opportunity to run through a very expensive chain of boxes that will transform the music. It literally, it blows, it just blew my mind. I'm sitting there and as soon as I turned on the SSL Fusion, I'm just like, oh my goodness, okay. I, why haven't I done this years ago? <laughs> I, sh- I should have taken my own advice long, long ago, man. But here I am coming to the trough and, uh, you know, God's like, here you go, man. You know, all you got to do is just remember where you come from. And I think you're going to find your way uh, into the next level because it's always about trying to do the next. It's always about creating. It's always about uh, groundbreaking. What, what don't I know? And because um, I thought I knew about mastering, but I, I really didn't in a lot of ways because I've been so focused on composing and mixing and uh, sound designing that that mastering part of it just kind of, I, I always took it for granted. But now that I went down the rabbit hole, I've, there's so much more out there to learn. So it's really, it's the best thing, man. And I would just say to people out there, if you're struggling, you know, and you don't know where your path is, that's your job is to find your path. That's your full-time job is to find your path in life. Because once you find something that lights you up like that, and you're always going to have this curiosity about what you do, then that's the God gave you that, that love. And so it's, it's never ending. That's the truth, man. It's true. That was, um, couple days ago I was down at my other studio and I was just looking at going through my mic locker and it is it just, you know, me and Mike's I'm big on it. Oh, We've yeah. had the discussion and just <laughs> going through those mics and what each one was doing and capable of doing and putting that together and kind of the, some of this next step stuff I'm working on right now. There's there, you start to, you feel the passion for what you're doing in different levels. And I think what you're hitting on is real important is that wherever God has you going, it's, it, it's not just a single thing. I'll use you as an example. I can use me as an example. But in talking of you, I mean, you're, you play guitar, you compose music, you're even doing soundtracks for film. It, it leads you into this other exploration of equipment, of levels, of the whole issue of sound as a whole you, you get into. Yeah. And it's, it opens up doors that literally only he can open. It opens up realms that only he can see. And it's really fantastic fantastic just to see how big he can lead us to and the things that we can do with the passions that we have before us. You know, the, the interesting thing, and I, I want to circle back just real quick in on the analog piece, because it kind of takes it to this. God did not create digital. What he created was our fingers. I'm going to go to your guitar, their fingers to play the strings. And there is a subtlety and within that, that is what I would call from a from an audio point of view, it's it's the dirty side of the audio. It's the side of the of that subtle squeak that comes across the the chords. When people haven't heard this these details before, they actually often think that it's it's not correct. I remember listening to one of the one of the finest recordings I'd ever heard, and it was a it was a, a recording of of a uh, orchestra playing, and I just goes way back, and it was in vinyl, and I was listening to it on a, a Yamaha amp system on a set of MagnaPen uh, MGA2s. And it was, the resonance, the clarity was just unbelievable. And as we sat and listened to this recording, which was pure analog recording, you suddenly heard things and you thought when you, if you were, if you weren't accustomed to it, you would have thought that there was errors in the recording. But what you were hearing was every detail of Mm -hmm. whether it was the violinists and and drawing across the, the, the strings with their bow or whether it was the percussionist, 
and, and the resonance and shaping of that music in that environment was unbelievable. That's literally what we're trying to recreate in, in our recordings. And at the heart of that is that there is an imperfection within the perfection of creation. And the, the imperfection is what makes it so much better because it's the dimension. And that's where I think the heart of analog, and I don't want to totally dis digital because we use it, but I'm saying there's yeah. a heart. And what we, you and I've talked about this, the analog heart. We're trying to seek this place that recreates the moments. And whether that's recording something in an old barn, recording something in a canyon, recording something in a finished studio, but there's that's where I go back to that Kurt Cobain moment um, with the MTV, you know, unplugged concert he was completely naked and transparent there there was nothing hiding him there was no sound panels there to make it better for him it was miking and him on on those on those strings man and his heart and the way he sings at that point is truly just it's just the transparent of who he is and when, when i think when we get back to that honesty in music we get away from auto tuning and trying to adjust voices which people don't even know this has happening most people Oh, yeah. And just realizing the true purity of the artist. When we start to seek the true purity of the artist, most of the artists we know today would be gone. You would you just take them out because yeah. you're like, you're fake. You've been manipulated. You're not even real. Mm -hmm. I want to see the real artist and the real heart of the artist. And that's where we come back to you because you are that guy. Well, thank you, my friend. It's uh, and, and there's so many uh, friends of mine that I know are, in, are the same. And they, they wonder the same things about... Uh, you know, it, will we find our, our, our spirit again in, in the real? And it's so funny that you said that this imperfection is the perfection because you're, we're sharing a brain there. That is exactly what it is. And you look at, you know, a perfect example is those old Rolling Stones records or even like the Beatles records. You know, there's there's mistakes all over those and there's tempo changes and there's, you know, if you put that on a grid, it's going to be all over the place, right? But that's the, the feel. That's the magic of, you know, four guys, three guys or, you know, guys, gals, whatever sitting in a room and exchanging their humanity for, for sound. And that's, that, that's the magic. And so it, it is that perfection. Cause when you make a mistake, that's the humanity coming out going, Oh, he's real too. He's not just some, you know, automaton up there. And we've gotten so used to seeing like the Taylor Swift's and all this stuff up, up on stage and they're singing to tracks and you know, there's nothing left to chance because we've sold so many tickets and it, this is a perfect example of how much, how far we've fallen as far as our creativity and our culture. Even back in the 80s, Millie Vanilli came out, right? And those dudes didn't even sing the songs. They were just two little uh, puppets up there dancing around on their strings. And they, they look good and all this stuff. And they got their bike shorts on, and it's great. And all of a sudden, <laughs> oh, good. my God. They, you like that? I thought you'd like that. They, oh my God, you know, they didn't sing their songs. They didn't, they weren't actually the artists on the, so they, they took away their granny, right? And they, they were shunned and one of the guys killed himself, which was, that's tragic. I mean, they're just, uh, you know, victims of the system at that point, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and now you look at, look at it now, every, everybody's expecting you to sing to, to tracks. And if you're lip syncing, nobody cares, right? So that, you know, the point between A and B there is the cultural decline of this country and the willingness to accept the fake. Agreed. And until we, until we stop doing that, man, I, you know, I don't know what, what to say about it. Cause I, I'm never playing that game. It's like the imperfection is the perfection. That's the perfect statement. Talk a little bit about auto tuning. Most people don't even know what that is. You've done it in studio with some of the most egregious type folks. I mean, like creating <laughs> an artist. I don't even know how to do it. It's just like the, some of the stuff you told me, it was just like, oh my gosh, I'm rolling my eyes. Talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah. Um, I always used to think it's like, we're going to have to put an ice pack on that auto tube box. It's getting a little bit hot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, I won't obviously, you know, I'm not going to sit there and and tell artists and stuff that they're tall tales and whatever. But yeah, I've worked in a lot of studios in my LA where we're doing productions on, you know, very well-known big artists and um, they're, they're coming in and they're recording and you're just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. And this is, you know, this is like a cat, out on a tin roof at you know, three o'clock in the morning, you know, caterwauling at the neighbor's cat. That's how, you know, off we are here. And so the back then, I mean, this was probably early 2000s, you know, the autotune came out and, and Melodyne hadn't uh, come out yet. And Melodyne's even more powerful than autotune. Um, and so the algorithms were pretty basic, but at the same time, you could really change. And look at, you know, shares, I don't believe in love or whatever. That was kind of the, first push out of the auto-tune voice being a creative choice. And I, you know, I'm not necessarily against that in a creative choice. Cause like you said, we have to be able to balance between the analog and the digital. And if it's for creative reasons, and if it moves the needle in that realm, I'm okay with it. But we're at the point now to where we're, we're, they're fooling people to think that this is how they actually sing. And then when they get it live and there's some sort of like, look at Ashley Simpson on Saturday Night Live, right? You know, she gets up there and they're, oh, like, oh my goodness, that's, they're running tracks. It's supposed to be Saturday Night Live. Nope. And they'll leave nothing to chance because it's a narrative creating experience, not a soul creating experience. And so, you know, to do that, I mean, I'm making my money you know, making the, putting out the myth that these people are actual artists and and performers and singers. They're they're performers, they're not singers, which is fine. If you're coming at me with you're a performer and that's okay, I'm cool with that. But if you're telling me that you're a singer and an artist, then, you know, come on, you're, you're, who are you trying to fool here? Um, But yeah, I, I, it was just crazy, the stuff that I got. I'm like, this is what the major labels are paying for? You know, and it's like, I mean, I'm making money doing it, so I'm a part of the problem to begin with because I'm paying my bills off keeping the, the fraud alive, right? So, you know, that uh, those days are gone, thank goodness. And um, so now we can focus on things that actually are real and matter. And so I just want people to know, you know, if you're listening to something that's coming out of a corporate setup, you're you're being manipulated and not most likely 99.9% of the time, not for your benefit, so... Well, Brian, let's just get back then to the core of what this all is all about. It's about the creation. It's about the playing. And <clears throat> let's just talk about that. What is that to you? I mean, when you're, you sit down and you're going to create, walk through the process of creation and where you're going to create something from your heart, from what God puts on you. And just let's go back to Peacemakers. I mean, that's an amazing piece. I know you talked about how quickly you were able to produce it. But where does that come from, and how does that feel when you sit down at the at a at a guitar and it's a blank canvas? It literally is a white canvas before you, and you're about ready to step into something to create something new. You know, that's a very good question, and I would say that uh, you have to quiet your mind, and that's really hard to do these days. You got to get rid of your phone. You got to. Uh, luckily, the the summers here in Montana are absolutely stunning. And so I'll just sit out on the deck here and look at the lake and a certain guitar will bring out a certain song, a certain way of playing. And it's like, I can play, I've got these different Stratocasters and one Strat will bring out, you know, the kind of the Stevie Ray in me or the other one will bring out the Jimi Hendrix or Mark Knopfler or however you put it. Cause it kind of makes you, pushes you into that place. But I found this, um, this baritone that I had never owned a baritone acoustic. And I'm like, you know, I, I really want to explore this instrument and so i found this taylor uh 
baritone and I, I, I brought it in and man, I started playing it and I just was like, it, it fit my voice so well because my voice has changed over the years, obviously now being, you know, uh, uh, soaked in the coffee, 50 year old. Um, it just fit my voice perfectly. And I just started coming up with chords, like big open, like a big open D chord is a symphony of sound just playing in all those notes. And you're just like, I can hear the melodies kind of dance around. So it's that, I really can't put my finger on the true genesis of it other than the fact to say that it's God, you know, otherwise I would be just, I would hear nothing. And I just sit out on the porch and enjoy the day. And I just start playing chords and see if this chord works on that chord. And this, if it, if it takes me away from where I'm sitting there, if I just kind of like leave the planet for a minute and it really soaks into me, then I know I'm onto something. And I'll just say, okay, well, you know, and all those years of composing and working on other people's stuff and being in Hollywood and all that, I understand production. I understand how to arrange quickly and go, you know, what's the best way to set this story up on a, on a, like a narrative to where it's building the dramatic pauses and rises and hits to really engage you and bring you in and, uh, and to put the punctuation on those parts of the, of the song to really drive it home. And, uh, that was fortunately for you know, Jill started listening to me play. It. She's like, you need to put this right here and try that. I'm like, that's a great idea. So I would mess around. I went back and I added a few things and that was, it was the perfect kind of cherry on top. So it starts with the guitar and a porch somewhere. Usually sometimes I'll sit down and I'll, I'll sit there and I'll, I'll arrange keyboard parts and that'll kind of pull it out of me too. So there's a, there's not just one way to go about it, but normally it's a, it's a guitar. And then when I'm going to start writing the lyrics, Sometimes I'll write along with when I'm, I'm, you know, composing the guitar parts. But uh, a lot of times I'm just going to write the whole entire song and then I'm going to retrofit uh, uh, lyrics on top of it. And, and that's kind of new for me, but I used to not do that. But I've, I've been doing that a whole lot more lately. And um, I'm just finding myself, it's like, it really doesn't matter how it comes out. It's, there's no wrong answer. There's no wrong way to do it. You know, that's what everybody's like. Well, if you want to get this certain sound, you have to do it this way. That's a bunch of bull. You know, um, there's there's no rules when it comes down to that. As well as you have chops and you have a heart and you want to put it out there, then you're going to find a way. So, and luckily God just kind of was like, I had this thought in my head of peacemaker Matthew five nine to to the cult peacemaker. How do we reconcile these two things? What is that? And to to put that to tunes. And I, I wanted to break out the heavier guitar sounds and the big chunky drums and all that stuff because that's kind of where I come from, and kind of turn from the acoustic portion to to this. And, um, you know, that said, I hope people also take a listen to Jill and I did a version of amazing grace last year. Uh, released that back in, uh, uh, April and, um, it's on all, all the streaming platforms. It's, uh, the Kahonics and it's amazing grace. And I, I think that, that peacemaker, some of the two of the pieces of music I put out that I'm most proud of. That's awesome, man. It really is. Well, it's a great piece and, um, you've got amazing talent. And it's really inspiring you, because you're, you're, you're really maintaining a lot of that heart of what um, recording and compos composition and even just like the finished audio should be. It's old school. It's still trying to keep it alive, which I, I'm not, I don't think people realize it's not as common as they realize. You know, the, the Blue yeah. Mountain stuff is, is a, that era is kind of dis disappearing pretty quickly the knowledge of how to run an analog board and create your delays with the length of cables. I mean, these are, this is a whole different world. Now we just kind of adjust a little digital dial and it's done. Right. Um, yeah, but it's a, it's the, 
there's a real excitement when we get back to that. And I think that's kind of where I want to close this a little bit today before we go to prayer. Um, it's the excitement and the exhilaration of the adventure when we're in digital. Yeah. I mean, when we leave digital, when we go into analog, analog, because there's a lot of unknowns. And in that the analog world is one of unpredictability that you're trying to refine and you're exploring and you're discovering new things because you really don't know what the capability of a system is. You're literally pushing it to the window versus the digital world where we have very defined parameters. And you can always count on a 1.5 dB minus to produce a certain effect where over on that analog side, that change in one cable, the way it carries a signal might affect things radically, right? <laughs> yep. We just don't appreciate that. Or, you know, the, the cables that we run literally from our speakers, from our system and how that changes the sound. All these little details and it's an exploration. It's a constant exploration in the analog world. We change a tube and it changes the entire warmth of a piece. And versus yep. the digital, we have to find a new plug-in or hope that somebody invents one that we can do an overlay and it'll create that same effect. We're replicating. Everything in digital is to replicate that which analog does natively. Talk about that yeah. component in creativity and, and how it is in your life. Because to me, that's kind of at the heart of all of this. It's the analog mind, the analog heart is about the exploration into realms of finding things that you discover. And it's the constant pursuit of discovering something new versus where I say in the, the digital realm, I, I would say that's much more limited and much more boundaried by the, the parameters put into somebody's programming of how they want something to work. Yes. I, to, along those lines, I would say that when I think about it, to put it in those terms, the, the difference, the, the strength of the digital for me is the ability to organize my thoughts and my ideas in a very quick fashion. And so I can take, I can go out into the analog world and find and get inspired by uh, different things that happen to me throughout the day, things that I see, my, just my path and my adventure out there. And then I can take those back and put them into a digital system and organize those thoughts. And it's very quick. And that's the real strength of that. Now, you know, as far as like the finishing process and all of that, the analog, you know, it's when you learn, it's hard for me to understand kids that just started in the digital realm because like I said, I'm an old guy and that I started out on tape machines and, and uh, analog boards and all that stuff. So I understand um, the, the true value of what comes out of that. And, and that basically the, the bigness of the sound because digital you know, once you get to zero and you go over, man, that's, you know, uh, this item up for bid, you know, you lost the, the showcase on the price is right. That's it. There's no more <laughs> on, on analog. You push it and you're into that red a little bit. And those VU meters are cruising into the red, but you're, you're only creating harmonic distortion, not digital distortion. And that's where you really come up against the limitations. So, you know, there, there's an organicness to that or that analog part of it, which is like you're going through a resistor, a, a transformer, and that electricity is real. The, the digital, I mean, what, I mean, it's amazing. If we lost electricity, how, how much would music change, Scott, right? Um, it would go back to the campfire, and uh, which is great. So I think just from the strength of the digital is that organization, because I'm a one-man band, and that's where we've all been pushed to as creators, to where we used to have budgets and we used to be able to you know, afford to have full productions and things like that, and they've basically sucked all the money out of that system. So luckily, the digital offers us a way to still produce and create that is uh, cost effective, but is that the right thing? No, it's not. But that's just that's what we've been given. I'm hoping at some point there's some sort of, 
you know, change in the system to where we can do that again, because I think it's important for humanity to do that. Because if we don't do that, then we're just, let's take our SOMA and let's go back to sleep. Yeah. I think that there's a, there's a hybrid model that we can definitely achieve. And I, and I, I do believe that. I think that there's a lot of advantages. You said one of them to digital is the organization, or if we go back to even film, like yeah. when we bin things, the, the, the idea of binning, which was the whole idea is that you were literally having the cuts, the physical cuts of your film strips hanging over bins and you would cut and they would fall into the bin, right? So then you would, and that's how I started on film, eight millimeter, literally like taping little pieces together to make a movie, right? So yeah. that, that's a different world. It's, it's, there's a lot of nostalgic interest there. I think one of the biggest things when we start to look at creativity in music and embracing, even if we want to say the nostalgic, is it also spawns more creativity. And, and I think that's at the core for me with what we're trying to get at, is when we start to get back to where we're tweaking and, and, and doing things uniquely. I mean, Ted Nugent still plays a certain, he has got one guitar that has so much feedback, nobody else in the world can play it literally, but <laughs> Ted didn't say, let that be a limitation. Ted has mastered the feedback to create another instrument, literally that he carries. Right. So yeah. Oh, yeah. there, there is, when we start to use the tools before us and, and we have a physical hands-on the problem so much with digital is everything has no touch and feel, but when you're literally getting in there and you're turning knobs and you're plugging in things and you're, you're connecting things and you're, you're creating these sounds. We're, we're actively involved in a creative ex exercise, and in so doing, we're cre actively stimulating, in my opinion, deeper creativity as a result. Yeah, that's it. Th that hybrid uh, approach is like, I think you're right. It, it, there's no way to not, unless we go without electricity in our world, I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're, we need to explore how to, we, we have to make a moral and, and conscious choice man, as a society and as a people to say, this is what's popular now. And it's not cool to go up there and auto tune and, and sing, you know, uh, and, and be a poser. You have to be able to be real. And I, I, I think that's coming with this, this return and this, this kind of this, this revelation that we've been lied to most of our lives, just about, just about everything that doesn't change the fact that, you know, it, that's not going to change what I'm doing. I, I don't care about that. It, that. It means nothing to me. If the earth turns out to be flat and all this other stuff, I don't care. <laughs> you know, it doesn't move the needle for me because I've been put on this earth to do this thing. And luckily the things that I'm, I'm doing have their real tangible uh, results that, that come out of it. It's not just some conspiracy on the internet somewhere. This is real. This is um, something that's going to hopefully help people and, and inspire them. And that's where we're at, man. Um, so I, it's really exciting time, dude. And I, I'm totally with you on that point. We're all heading in this really crazy direction, and we're so lucky to be alive at this time. Well said. Where do people find your work, Brian? Uh, come to my website at briankahonic.com, or you can reach us at thekahonics.com, and that's K-A-H-A-N-E-K. It rolls right off the tongue. Um, and just come say hi, man. You know, send an email over, and uh, if you like what you hear, share it. That's how it works, man. It just, if you want to donate, that's fine, but it's really more about getting the songs in people's ears so they can share it with the next person. Because if that doesn't happen organically, then, you know, it's like I said, it's a tree falling in the forest and nobody's going to hear it. That's a really good point. I think that's just it. I think that's the mindset change, even from artists. And you kind of, we've talked a lot about that. It's a big deal and you're leading the way, which is big congratulations to you and all that you're doing. Well, Brian, we always close with a prayer. And if it's okay, we'll do a prayer. Absolutely. 
Father God, I just want to thank you for this time we've had together, Brian and Bars Nation audience and myself here, just to talk about something that's so deep and important in our time that has nothing to do with the negative and all about raising up the positive and literally creating a new environment of appreciating music that comes from the right source and the right core of the heart. Father, we just want to bless Brian and, and all that he does and continue to pray for the blessings that fall upon him for his continued pursuit of that passion of in speaking music and, and taking the words that you put on his heart and turning them into creations that change people and affect people and lift them up. So, Father, we just pray into Brian the, the, the continued inspiration of creativity and just to inspire him for new creations going forward and to take away any limitations that might be before him and to continue to have his music spread to inspire people to raise them up and to literally raise up a new generation of artists that are not trying to seek a mainstream model but to break away, to find that voice of Holy Spirit within them, to use those gifts and talents given to them, to push the limits now, to return back to the ancient paths, Jeremiah 6.16, and to try to seek a new level of expression that will literally move the world. We say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, it's been Thank awesome you, catching up. Yeah, awesome, dude. It's really it's good. So Always a great conversation, Scott, and, and you know, lots of love and Godspeed to, to the listeners and everybody out there that's uh, – Trying to put all the pieces together, we'll just uh, sit here together and try to, uh, you know, create the best things we can in the meantime, and it'll change. Yeah, it will. We, it's literally one song and and one one step at a time, which is awesome. Well, bless you, man. All the best to you, and uh, keep yourself safe from those grizzlies when you're hiking. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Much love, man. All right, God bless. Well, patriots, that was Brian Kahanik, patriot, musician, audio engineer probably one of the best we have in the Patriot movement and truly a talent of talents when it comes to music and composition. You can check out his piece, Peacemaker, and I would encourage you to download it and support his work at briankahonic.com. It's awesome. We'll have the links below the podcast and just enjoy the piece. We're also going to play it right after the show, so stick around. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow morning for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now.